Chapter Eleven of The Devil's Garden by W. B. Maxwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss, TomsAudiobooks.com. Chapter Eleven. Full particulars of the disposition of Mister Barradine's fortune had now been published, and the world was admiringly talking about it. The claims of the entire Petherick family would be once and for all satisfied. Mrs. Petherick and that young person who had been sent to learn music at Vienna were each to receive as much as Mavis Dale. Three other Petherick's would get five hundred pounds apiece. Still more Petherick's would be dowered in a lesser degree. Then came the ordinary servants, with legacies proportionate to terms of service. Everybody remembered. Nobody left out in the cold. Then, with nice lump sums of increasing magnitude, came a baker's dozen of Barradine nephews, nieces, and second cousins. The Abbey domain was to go to an elderly first cousin, and then, after bequest of various charities, came the grand item that the local solicitor had in his mind when he foretold a salvo of newspaper comment. The residue of the estate, the larger half of all the dead man's possessions, was to be employed in the establishment of a home for parentless, unprotected, or destitute female children. The trustees of this institution were to find a suitable site somewhere within five miles of the Abbey House, and if possible on the Barradine property, being guided in their selection of the exact spot by expert advice as to the character of the soil, the qualities of the air, and the facilities for obtaining a supply of pure water. When they had found the site they were immediately to build thereon, and provide accommodation at the earliest date for fifty small inmates, each of whom was to be reared, educated, and finally launched in life with a small dowry. The funds available would be more than sufficient for the number of children named, and Mr. Barradine expressed the wish that the number should not be increased if, as he hoped, the income of the trust grew bigger with the passage of time. He desired that extension of revenue should be devoted to improving the comfort and amenities of the fifty occupants, to increasing their dowries, and to assisting them after they had gone out into the world. Not only the Rodhaven District Courier, but great London journals also experienced difficulty in marshalling enough adjectives to convey their sense of admiration for such a perfect scheme. Ever since his death, the local praise of Mr. Barradine's amiable qualities had been taking richer colors, and now the will seemed so to sanctify his memory that one felt he must be henceforth classed with the traditional philanthropic heroes of England, those whose names grow brighter through the centuries. When on Sunday Mr. Norton took for his text those beautiful words, Suffer little children to come on to me, all instantaneously guessed what he was getting at and by the time he finished there was scarcely a dry eye that had not been wet at some point or other of an unusually long sermon. We have had, he said in conclusion, a striking instance of that noblest of all the feelings of the human breast, tenderness and care for the weak and helpless, and without abrogating the practice of our church which forbids us to pray for the souls of those who have been summoned away from us, I will ask you all before dispersing today to join with me in a few moments' silent meditation on the lesson to be derived from a kindness that has proved undying, a pity that has the attribute of things eternal, and speaking to us from the other side of the grave, may in all reverence be described as angelic. The talk about the vast sums to be expended in charity produced 
a curious effect on Mavis Dale. It seemed that her own two thousand pounds was a steadily diminishing quantity. She was still greatly excited whenever she thought about it, but she could not feel again the respectful rapture caused by her first thought of its lavishly generous extent. Perhaps just at first, doing what the solicitor advised her not to do, she had not altogether discriminated between capital and interest. Dazzled by the abstract notion of wealth, she had overestimated concrete potentialities. Of course, William would allow her to accept the legacy. In the early days after the visit to Old Manningley, she had tormented herself with fears that he would attempt to force a renunciation of benefits from that quarter, and she had determined never to yield to so preposterous an exercise of authority. But now she felt certain that he would not thus drive her to open revolt. He was still somber and silent, but however long he remained in this gloomy state, he would not interfere with her freedom in regard to the money. Nevertheless, she felt relieved when he explicitly stated that there would be no further opposition on his part. "'Oh, Will, I can't tell you how glad I am to hear you talk so sensibly about that.' "'It is not willingly that I say yes. Don't you go and think that.' "'No, but you do see we couldn't act otherwise.' "'You must accept it for this reason, and not for any other reason. Our hands are tied. If you refuse it, people would wonder.' "'Yes, yes. But, Will, you keep saying you when it's really us. It will be ours, not just only mine, you must remember.' ah but i doubt if i could ever take you at your word there after this she sang at her household work she took as a good sign the fact that he had spoken doubtfully instead of formally repudiating her suggestion that they were to share alike in all the good things which the money might bring them she thought it must mean that he was very near to forgiving her death had now almost wiped out everything he was feeling more and more every day what she had felt from the beginning that it was palpably absurd to go on harboring resentment. Free now from exaggerated estimates, with ideas readjusted to the measure of reality, and her natural common sense at work again, she thought of what the little fortune might truly do for them. It ought to yield a hundred pounds, twice fifty pounds a year, roughly two pounds a week, coming in unearned. Why, it was wealth. On top of William's annual emoluments, such an income would make them feel as if they were rolling in money. Visions immediately rose of all sorts of things that would now be within the scope of their means. Choicer meals for William, aprons and caps for Mary, new curtains and much else new and delightful to beautify the home. Little excursions, too, a regular seaside holiday during leave time. Messrs. Cleaver had intimated that the London solicitors were ready to hand over the money, and Mavis was talking to her husband about its investment. "'I trust your judgment, Will, and I'd like it put in both our names.' "'Oh, no, I couldn't quite consent to that.' "'I do wish you would. If it's invested well, I make out it ought to bring us a hundred a year.' "'Mavis,' he said thoughtfully, "'it might be invested to bring more than that, if you were prepared to take a certain amount of risk.' oh i don't want any risk and perhaps the risk after all would be covered by the security i'd offer you let it be for your lawyers to decide it's not for me to urge the safety well what is it i hesitate for this purpose i want to lead you up to it so that you shouldn't turn against the proposal without yourself or your representatives giving it consideration 
"'Will, I wish you'd tell me. I can't bear suspense.' "'Then here's the first question. "'If satisfied of the security, would you lend out the money on mortgage "'with a person who has the chance of setting himself up in an old established business?' "'What business?' "'I'll tell you in a minute. "'Take the person first. You haven't asked about him.' In a sense his character, honesty and straight ways, is a part of the security. He is somebody you've known for a many years. Who is it? Myself. Will, what on earth do you mean? Mavis, it's like this. They are bide a bit. They had been sitting in the dusk after their high tea, and now Mary brought a lighted lamp into the room and put it on the table between them. All right, my girl, never mind clearing away till I call for you. He waited until Mary had gone out of the room, and then went on talking. His face, with the lamplight full upon it, looked very firm and serious, and his manner while he explained all these new ideas was strangely unemotional. He spoke not in the style of a husband to a wife, but of a businessman proposing a partnership to another man. It seems to me, viewing it all round, a wonderful good chance an opening that isn't likely to come in one's way twice. Mr. Bates' son has been and got himself into such a mess over a horse-racing transaction that he's had to make a bolt of it. I can't tell you the facts because I don't rightly know them, but it's bad, something to do with checks that'll put him to hiding for a long day if he doesn't want to answer for it in a court of law. Well, then, the old gentleman being worn out with private care, wishing to retire, and seeing a common cheat and waster in the one who ought by nature to succeed him, has offered me to take over the farm, the trade, and the whole bag of tricks. But surely to goodness, Will, you don't think of giving up the post office? Yes, I do. I think of that in any case. But you love the work. Used to, Mavis. Don't you now? No, Mavis. It's like this. He had raised a hand to shade his eyes, as if the lamplight hurt them, and she could no longer see the expression of his face. But she observed a sudden change in his manner. He spoke now much in the same confidential tone that he had always employed in the old time when telling her of his most intimate affairs, in the happy time when he brought all his little troubles to her, and flattered her by saying that she never failed to make them easy to bear. So far as the P.O. is concerned, all the heart has gone out of me. The events through which I've passed have altered my view of the entire affair. Where all seemed leading me on and on and up and up, I see nothing before me now. Promotion? I don't believe I'd ever get it. The best I could hope for would be that they'd leave me here to the end of my service life. And besides, if promotion comes tomorrow, I don't want it. Will, let me say at once. Take the money. I consent. Whatever you feel's best for you, that's what I want. He altogether ignored her interruption and went on in the same tone. I used to think it grand, and now it all seems nothing. I do assure you when I was down there handing out a halfpenny stamp or signing a two-shilling order, I used to feel large enough to burst with satisfaction. I felt I'm the king of the castle. That was thrown in my teeth as how I appeared to others. Well, now I feel like a brock in a barrel and not so big as him. Just something small that's got into the wrong box by accident and had the lid clamped to on it. I want room for my elbows and scope for my intellect. I must get the sky over my head again and the open roads under my feet. If I stopped down there much longer, I should go mad. 
then, my dear, you mustn't stop. These last weeks, fairly determined to chuck it, I've been thinking of the colonies as affording advantages to any man who's got capacities in him. But now this chance comes nearer home, and it lies with you to say if you'll give me the help required for me to take it. Yes, said Mavis earnestly, and more glad than words can say to think I'm able to do so. Indeed, she was delighted. She had been deeply moved by all he told her about his distaste for the work he used to love, and she realized that he had been magnanimous in refraining from reproaches, but rather implying a purely personal change of ideas as to the cause of the disillusionment and depression, so that, jumping at the opportunity to prove that she counted his inclinations as higher than mere money, she would have accepted any scheme, however unpromising. But in fact, the enterprise appeared to her judgment as quite gloriously hopeful. Every moment increased the charms that it presented. Above all, its complete novelty fascinated, and with surprising quickness she found herself thinking almost exactly what her husband had thought in regard to their present existence. It seemed to her, too, that she was pining for a larger, freer environment, that this narrow home had become a permanent prison-house, and that she could never really be contented until she got away from it. Then she thought of the Vine Pits farm, the peaceful fields, the lovely woodland, the space, the air, the sunlight that one would enjoy out there, and then in another moment came the fear lest all this should prove too good to be true. But, Will, however can Mr. Bates be willing to part with such a splendid business as his for no more than two thousand pounds? Ah, there you show your sense, Mavis. As he said this, Dale took his hand from his forehead and resumed his entirely matter-of-fact tone. You must understand things aren't always what they seem. The business is not what it was. But Mr. Bates is very rich, isn't he? He ought to be, but he isn't. That son of his has been eating him up, slow and fast, for the last ten years. The turnover of his trade is big enough, but the whole management of it has gone endways. From a man working with capital, he's come down to a man financing things from hand to mouth. What's left to him now is, strictly speaking, his stock, his wagons, his horses, his lease, his household belongings, and whatever should be put down for the good will. Then, continuing his purely business-like exposition, he explained that he would have to make two engagements, one to his wife and one to Mr. Bates. All material property would be charged with Mavis' loan and the value of the goodwill would be repaid how and when he could repay it. Mr. Bates was content to risk that part of the bargain on his faith in Dale's personal integrity. "'Don't say any more,' cried Mavis. "'I'm not understanding it, but I know it's all right. Do let's get it settled before Mr. Bates alters his mind.' "'It must be done formally, Mavis, through your lawyers. Mr. Cleaver is capable and trustworthy. It's to be a regular mortgage, properly tied up and he must approve. I don't care whether he approves or doesn't. I approve. Then I thank you, said Dale gravely, for the way you've met me, and I assure you I appreciate it. As to the trade itself, I believe I shan't go wrong. It's not so new to me as people might suppose. I'm well aware of its principles, and moreover one trade's precious like another, and a man's faculties are bound to tell, no matter how you apply them. Mavis was overjoyed. When she sang to herself now, while dressing of a morning, the notes poured out loud and full, even when there was a scarce puff of breath behind them. 
she felt so proud and happy to think that fate had given her the power to help william and that he had consented to avail himself of the power once more he had begun to lean on her as in the past so in the future he would derive support from his poor little misunderstood but always well-meaning mavis End of chapter 11 recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com